0: That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18+. plus. I am still
0: waiting for you. your coming.
2: Hi everyone. Thanks for listening to Shoes, Booze, and Tattoos. I'm Jess, I'm your host. So, usually, right now I would be giving you a warning. I'm not sure what kind of warning you might need for this episode. There's nothing that's going to be violent or sexual or anything like that. Not guaranteeing I'm not going to swear. So, that's the only thing I can think of. Today, we're going to be talking about. The History of Halloween. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the history of our American traditions of Halloween. Majority of you, you listeners, are from America. So it makes sense to cover the history of our traditions. Because we are pretty unique. Because we take things from other traditions all over the place. So why... Do you think we trick-or-treat? Or why do we bob for apples? Why do we carve pumpkins and put them out? We're going to cover all of this today, plus more. Halloween as we Americans know it stems mostly from the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. The Celts lived over 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the UK, and northern France, though they are believed to have spread out much further. For the ancient Celts, it's believed that October 31st marked the end of the year, and November 1st was the beginning of their new year. A big reason for this is because Samhain is the last harvest of the year. This is the last celebration of the harvest, the last harvest festival. This was the beginning of the dark and the cold winter, and this is when a lot of people were afraid of death. Winter during this time was hard. If you didn't have a plentiful harvest, it was likely that some of your family might not make it to spring. That is why this time of year is associated with death. It is thought that the Celts believed that during this day, October 31st, the boundary between the world of the living and the dead became blurred or thinned. It was believed that during Samhain, the spirits of the dead would be able to return to Earth, along with any other being that may be in a different world or a different reality than ours. It was believed that during this time, it was easier for these other beings to cross into our world and for us to cross into theirs. While, of course, we can't determine if this is true or not, if you ask a majority of people about this boundary or this veil between the worlds, it's largely thought that this boundary or this veil will thin on October 31st. Personally, I don't know. It seems odd to think that just one day a year, or with some traditions or some beliefs, even two days a year, the boundary between worlds will be thin. Maybe it's always thin. Maybe it's the Capricorn in me, but I can't seem to figure out how it makes sense. One thing that I personally believe, during this time... Especially this time of year, this spooky, creepy Halloween time, we all have certain emotions or feelings about it. Some people might be excitement, some fear, some, especially those of us that practice, might be feeling a little magic in the air. During this time of year, most people that aren't even interested in the paranormal might pick up certain things they might brush off on a normal everyday basis. Maybe these feelings and this energy that we're creating with these feelings might be something that is appealing to beings in these other worlds. Maybe that's what attracts them and why it might be a little more active during this time. Or maybe we're just noticing things more during this time than others. That's my personal opinion. For all I know, I could be completely wrong And that veil between the other worlds is thinner. What do you think? If you ask ten people, most likely at least nine or even all ten will say that the veil between these worlds is thinnest at this time. The reason I'm talking about this thinning of the veil does go back to Sawen. It was believed at this time that for the Celtic priests, or Celtic holy men, which were referred to as druids, it was believed that at this time of year, with the veil being thin, it would be easier for them to make predictions about the future. Now keep in mind, these people, the Celts, they were entirely dependent on the natural world. They didn't have the luxuries like we do, like gas, heat, electricity, running water, grocery stores. They relied completely on what they could provide for themselves from the earth. To them, these prophecies from the druids were very important. They relied heavily on them for comfort and direction during the winter there is a specific tradition to commemorate the event. They would usually build huge, sacred bonfires. The Celts would gather around to burn offerings like crops, animals, or other sacrifices to certain deities. Now, during these celebrations, the Celts would wear costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, And they would also celebrate by attempting to tell each other's fortunes. Not just before these bonfires were lit. The Celts would extinguish the hearth fires in their homes. These same fires were the ones they used to cook their food, heat their home, keep them warm to survive the winter. They would extinguish these just before those sacred bonfires were lit. They would all attend this celebration. Each person, afterwards, would relight their hearth fires from the sacred bonfire. This was believed to help protect them during the winter. There are some other things that do go into how we celebrate Halloween today. Around 43 AD, the Roman Empire conquered most of the Celtic lands. Over the course of the next 400 years... They kind of rolled these Celtic festivals and Roman festivals together. So, of course, we talked about their celebration of Samhain. The Roman festivals that were combined with this were two different ones. The first one was Feralia. This was the celebration that took place in late October, and it celebrated a remembrance of the passing of the dead. The other celebration was a day to honor a goddess Pomona. She was the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. One of the symbols of Pomona is the apple. It is widely thought that the tradition of bobbing for apples stems from this celebration to honor this Roman goddess Pomona. Now things did change a bit. Once the Pope dedicated the Roman pantheon as Christian martyrs. Now, I did read different dates in different places. It might have been 1609. It might have been 609. I'm not completely positive. (laughs) 609 does make more sense. So we're going to go with that. Now, they were to be celebrated originally on May 13th. But the date was later moved to November 1st to combine with All Martyrs Day. Now, the decision to move the celebration from May to November was an effort to make it easier to convert a lot of the pagans in this area during the time. This isn't, of course, anything new. The same thing was done with Christmas and Easter, as well as many other holidays. Those are things that we may cover in future episodes, so keep an ear out for that. But another holiday was added to this around 1000 A.D., This was All Souls Day. This was a day specifically dedicated to honor the dead. All Saints Day was the first effort to replace the Celtic festival of Samhain. However, it didn't seem to take root too well. All Souls Day was the second attempt. This was celebrated much more like the Celtic celebration of Samhain, with a few exceptions. All Souls Day was celebrated with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows, or All Hallowmas. This, of course, led to the night before, the Night of Samhain in the Celtic religion, to be called All Hallows' Eve and eventually Halloween. Quick little story here. While I was growing up, my mom was very Catholic. Like, to the point that when I was in school, we weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween. We weren't allowed to participate in the Halloween parties, or even color any Halloween pictures. Nothing. I mean, I even remember the first time I was allowed to dress up and go trick or treating. I think it was like 11 or 12. Now, there were a few years in between here where she did let us dress up as saints or angels. I think it was for some church activities or some church parties or something like that, but I can't really remember. I'm not sure if some other people out there had this as well, especially those that were raised in very strict Catholic homes. And I'm not sure if people are still doing this today. I imagine there are some. Let me know if you ever had this kind of experience growing up where you weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween. It might explain my love of these things now. (laughs) So let's get back to our story. Halloween eventually came to America, but it almost didn't make it. The new colonists in New England were very rigid Puritans, They didn't believe in celebrating any holidays. There was no Christmas, no Easter, no Halloween. And I even read in some places that they didn't even celebrate birthdays. Nothing. So initially with the new settlers in the United States, their traditions and those of Native Americans started to mash together. Something new was starting to happen there was a celebration held called a play party, which was a public event held to celebrate the harvest. There was a feast, and people would get together to share stories of the people that they may have lost, tell each other's fortunes, dance, sing. Colonial Halloween had a lot to do with the tellings of ghost stories. There was also tales of mischief-making of all different kinds. But something major was still yet to happen to fully make this the Halloween we know today. By the middle of the 19th century, yearly fall festivals were common all over. But we were about to get a bunch of new traditions in the mid 19th century. This is when millions of Irish immigrants came to the United States fleeing the Irish potato famine. I do have quite a few people in my family tree that came over during the mid-1800s. I imagine this is why. They brought with them the traditions of Samhain. So let's break down some of the common things we do on Halloween. Let's talk about the tradition of trick-or-treating. We get bits and pieces of this from different places, But a large part of this is from the celebration of All Souls Day that we were talking about a little bit ago. During these celebrations, children in the poor would beg for food from families and offer prayers for the family's dead in exchange for something called a soul cake. If any of you don't know, one very strong Catholic belief is that of not just heaven and hell as an option after you die, but there's purgatory as well. The belief is that purgatory is where you go to give penance for your sins while on earth before you're considered good enough, I guess, for heaven. I personally always thought this was a little bit of an odd belief, but it's a very strong belief in the Catholic Church. So the distribution of soul cakes was very encouraged by the Church This was a way to replace the ancient practice of leaving food and wine out for roaming spirits. Plus, it was believed that these prayers would help those in purgatory to reach heaven. Because I guess the thought process here is that while in purgatory, you rely on the prayers of others to get you out. I don't know. I don't really remember too well what the actual tradition is. So the practice of these people going to others' homes and begging for the soul cakes was referred to as going a-souling. Eventually, not just soul cakes were given, but also ale, other food, and even money. With our modern trick-or-treating, dressing up is a common activity. But during souling, costumes weren't really worn. The idea of wearing costumes does date back hundreds of years, This is when the belief that the veil between the worlds was very thin was really popular. It was believed that ghosts would come back to Earth, and people thought that they would encounter ghosts if they left their home at night. So they would dress up in costumes to avoid being recognized by these ghosts. If someone had to leave their home at night, they would make sure to at least put on a mask or even a large cape to disguise themselves. The thought process here is that these ghosts or these spirits would mistake them for one of their own, a fellow spirit or ghost, and they wouldn't be haunted by them after. Now, that practice of placing bowls of food or wine outside was believed to keep ghosts away from the house so that these ghosts or spirits would be appeased or happy with these things and not come into the home and haunt them. This tradition also got incorporated into our American version of Halloween. These new Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house, souling or asking for this food or this money. It eventually became today's trick-or-treating. In the late 1800s, there was a shift in America that would mold into what today's Halloween, how we celebrate it, is more like. This consisted of neighborly get-togethers. They would sit and talk, tell ghost stories, play pranks, and talk about things like witchcraft. This is when Halloween parties became more popular for adults as well as children. It became the most popular way to celebrate Halloween. These get-togethers were often in community centers. One big party for the community in one little place. These parties, of course, focused on games, foods of the season, festive costumes. Parents were even encouraged by local newspapers and community leaders to take anything frightening or grotesque out of Halloween celebrations. This is when Halloween kind of lost its superstitious and religious overtones. But again, our American Halloween took another shift. By the 1930s, Halloween was a community-centered holiday. There were parades, Halloween parties, but a lot of areas started to experience some increased vandalism during this time. There were some places that didn't even want to celebrate Halloween anymore. Over the next 20 years, vandalism was cut back on, but Halloween evolved into a holiday directed mostly towards children, During this time, celebrations were usually held in community centers or in one large area. But the 1950s experienced a huge baby boom. With so many children, it was way easier to move these celebrations and parties into school classrooms or as community-wide events, like trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating wasn't widely popular until one woman was so tired of getting pranked on Halloween or getting her house vandalized. She decided to basically bribe children with candy or small treats in order to have them avoid her home. This is where our actual trick-or-treating starts. Before this, any kind of trick-or-treating was usually a smaller affair. There was usually just a small neighborhood that would help with these treats. And usually they were things like popcorn balls or candied apples, It wasn't until much later that a woman, this woman, started giving out actual candy. Other people caught on and started doing this as well. So our traditions of Halloween are a mash of all these different things. Now we're starting to get influences from Mexico as well. We see sugar skulls everywhere. People are starting to have more of a reverence for the dead as well, which I really like. Halloween may have started as a pagan holiday, but it wouldn't be the same if we didn't have Christian influences, oopses, stuff happening by chance. So the way we celebrate Halloween today is a big mash of all these different influences pulled together. A lot of people, I hear a lot of podcasts talk about Saw one being the originating and that is what we should be celebrating and it's really not we wouldn't have things like trick or treating or dressing up in these costumes if it were still one and it were kept exactly how it was we would just have bonfires and dress up like animals those parts may evolve here and there but it wouldn't be like what we have today trick or treating wouldn't have been a thing Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion, yes, that's billion with a B, every year on Halloween. This makes it the second biggest holiday for businesses just after Christmas. There are some things that we haven't really talked about yet. These are some smaller things that are involved in our celebration of Halloween. They're more symbols. Of Halloween more than anything. Whenever we're shopping for Halloween stuff, you go into the store, you're looking for some Halloween decorations, right? What do we see a lot of? Black cats? Ghosts? Bats? Even the colors? Well, the traditional colors are black and orange. We'll start off with the colors real quick because that's a very simple one. Those are the colors of the harvest. Black is the color of death, which Halloween, everything starts to really die. When winter comes, a lot of things are barren. So black is associated with that part of it. Orange is the color of fall. It's the color all the leaves turn, the harvest. A lot of the vegetables, especially that we harvest here in the United States during this time, pumpkins. That's a huge part of it. There are certain squash and everything, too. Orange is the color of late fall. That's where those color associations come in, and that's about it. Now, of course, green and purple have been added, and I honestly can't say anything about that other than, like, the stereotypical witch stuff, because usually you see these colors with witch stockings, witch's skin, cauldrons, things like that. Which, by the way, if you didn't know, witches weren't depicted with green skin, as far as I know, until the Wizard of Oz. That was because that color showed up so well on camera. It was so vibrant. But anyway, back to the point. Bats. Talk about bats a little bit. During the Celtic celebrations of Samhain, this is how long this has been associated with Halloween. They had these huge bonfires that we talked about, With the bonfires, the light and the heat would attract insects. Bats are attracted to insects. So, bats are out quite a bit during this time of year. While having these bonfires, people would look up and see these bats flying around, catching all of the insects. They became a symbol of the holiday.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: When it comes to things like black cats and ghosts, and even witches, the explanation is much more simple: superstition. During the Middle Ages, it was thought that witches would avoid detection by turning themselves into black cats. That's also where the thought of a black cat crossing your path may bring bad luck comes from. Now, this is widely associated with the superstition not to walk under ladders. That one comes from a very different background. That one is thought to possibly come from ancient Egyptians because they believed that triangles were sacred. But more than likely, it's just because that's not really a safe thing to do. Of course, the ghosts. That comes from believing that the veil is thin during that time. There are some lesser-known traditions associated with Halloween that aren't really practiced much anymore. Now, this part, I actually found a really good description of this on History.com. I'm going to pull directly from that to describe some of these old traditions that we don't really see too much anymore. Many of these obsolete rituals focused on the future instead of the past and the living instead of the dead. In particular, many had to do with helping young women identify their future husbands and reassuring them that they would someday, with luck by the next Halloween, Be married. In 18th century Ireland, a matchmaking cook might bury a ring in her mashed potatoes on Halloween night, hoping to bring true love to the diner who found it. In Scotland, fortune tellers recommended that an eligible young woman name a hazelnut for each of her suitors. She was then to toss the nuts into the fireplace. The nut that burned to ashes rather than popping or exploding, the story went, represented the girl's future husband. In some versions of this legend, the opposite was true. The nut that burned away symbolized a love that would not last. Another tale had it that if a young woman ate a sugary concoction made out of walnuts, hazelnuts, and nutmeg before bed on Halloween night, she would dream about her future husband. Young women tossed apple peels over their shoulders, hoping that the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their future husband's initials. They tried to learn about their futures by peering at egg yolks floating in a bowl of water and stood in front of mirrors in darkened rooms, holding candles and looking over their shoulders for their husband's faces. Other rituals were more competitive, At some Halloween parties, the first guest to find a burr on a chestnut hunt would be the first to marry. At others, the first successful apple bobber would be the first down the aisle. Of course, whether we're asking for romantic advice or trying to avoid seven years of bad luck, each one of these Halloween superstitions relies on the goodwill of the very same spirits. Whose presence the early Celts felt so keenly. So, we've talked about trick or treating, costumes, the date of Halloween, black cats, and ghosts. We're still missing something pretty important to Halloween the jack o' lantern. Now, this is one of my favorite origin stories for Halloween. Carving pumpkins is one of my favorite things to do during the Halloween season. But this one stems from a legend. That's the legend of Stingy Jack. StrangerDimensions.com had a great article by Rod Schwartz. I'm going to go directly from that because it just tells the story so perfectly. So this is the legend of Stingy Jack. A long time ago in Ireland, there lived a man called Stingy Jack. He was the town drunkard, you could say. He lied, he cheated, he stole. He played tricks. No one liked him. Every night, without exception, he'd walk down to the local pub and drink until morning. One night, while on his way to the pub, Jack came upon a grotesque body lying on the ground. It turned out to be the devil who had come to collect Jack's soul. Mortified, Jack did the only thing he could think of, he asked for one final drink. The devil agreed, and they walked down to the pub and Jack ordered a round of ale. When he was finished, he turned to the devil and asked him to pay the tab. Bemused by Jack's unexpected request, the devil transformed himself into a sixpence, with which Jack could pay the bartender. But Jack didn't pay. Instead, he placed the sixpence into his pocket, where he also kept a crucifix. The devil was trapped. The crucifix prevented him from changing back into his original form, and he was stuck as a useless coin in Stingy Jack's pocket. At that point, Jack made a wager. He let the devil out of his pocket, but only if he spared his soul for another ten years. The devil reluctantly agreed. Ten years passed. Jack was out walking alone, and once again, he came across a body on the ground. It was the devil, returning to collect Jack's soul as they had agreed. Jack seemed resigned to his fate. But to the devil's surprise, he again asked for one final request. One last taste of an apple from an apple tree. The devil agreed and began to climb up a nearby apple tree to retrieve an apple. But while he did so, Stingy Jack carved a cross into the tree's bark. Once again, the devil found himself stuck, unable to climb back down due to the power of the cross. Jack, ever the trickster, offered another bargain. He'd help the devil down from the tree as long as his soul would never be taken to hell. The devil, frustrated, agreed. Several more years passed, and Stingy Jack, after a sorry life of drinking and tricks, died alone in his bed. His soul, released from his body, wandered to the gates of heaven, where he was turned away for his life's nefarious deeds Jack, dejected, then made his way to the gates of hell. The devil, however, kept his side of the bargain. He also turned him away. Jack was terrified. Was he doomed to wander the darkness alone for all eternity? Perhaps the devil felt sorry for him in that final moment. Because he tossed Jack a single burning ember to help light his way. Jack found a turnip, hollowed it out, and placed the umber inside, creating a makeshift lantern to guide him through the netherworld. To this day, they say he still wanders, but he goes by a different name, Jack of the Lantern. So obviously, in our American traditions for Halloween, we don't use turnips. We use pumpkins. This is because when settlers came to North America, pumpkins were in abundance. Plus, they were much easier to carve than turnips. I don't know if you've ever tried to carve a turnip. It's hard to do. What do you think about the history of our American traditions of Halloween? I know some of you asked me about this because you know that I am a witch and I am pagan. If any of you don't want to listen to this, as far as this part goes, feel free to turn the episode off now. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I celebrate Halloween. First off, I do want to say that I am one of those weirdos that does not care for the word Samhain. I don't know why. It just feels weird coming out of my mouth. I feel silly saying it. I'll be one of those obnoxious people that actually pronounce it Sam Samhain. Or I'll just say Halloween. So for my family, we obviously love Halloween here. The traditions that we've kind of started since I came completely out to my mom and my family, or, well, the majority of them anyway, as being a witch, has been that they all come over... I cook something, whether it's a stew or a chowder or whatever, something warm with seasonal produce, and I bake bread with rosemary. I think I talked about this in one of the basic witches episodes or the witchcraft episodes. Rosemary is the herb for remembrance. We do have family and people close to us that have passed away, so it's nice to give that little touch to make an effort to remember them. A lot of times we'll sit around the fire and tell stories about them. I do bring down a picture of my grandfather, and we set up a spot specifically for him. Like we set food in that spot and everything. This is the closest family member to me personally that I have lost. You can do this with other family members and friends, anybody that you would like to have around that's not here anymore. You can set up a spot specifically for them, in remembrance of them, have their picture there, one of their shirts, even, or something they might have worn, cook something that they might have really liked or was a favorite for them, and set a place specifically for them. Now, obviously, Halloween night, I I am a mom. I do have two kids. They love to go trick-or-treating. I'm betting that you sometime in the next year or two, my son's going to be kind of done with it. He's 12 right now, but usually either me, my husband, my mom, or my sister. We'll walk the kids around the neighborhood, take them trick or treating. Then afterwards we sit down and eat. We have a fire. This is the time where I like to make some fun little bundles or get some things together to put into the fire. It does change every year because we've only been celebrating this for maybe three or four years together. One thing I really like to do, I treat it almost like a New Year's resolution. I write down something either on a piece of paper or a bay leaf. Something I just want to change or let go of or want to do better with. We'll write these down, kind of think about them a little bit, and then we'll put them into the fire. We'll all sit and watch them burn to ash and just try to remember that, to keep that in our minds. We do get these little packets of powder. I can't remember exactly what they're called. I think they're called magic flame. We make sure to have a few of these on hand so that we can just throw them into the fire as well. These things just make it feel more magical. These packets have chemicals in them that changes the color of the flame. It can be purples, pinks, greens, blues. It's really very beautiful. I'll try to get a little video of it this year, and I'll try to post it on at least the Facebook group so you guys can see it. By the way, Facebook group, if you guys aren't in it and you would like to be, feel free to join. The only question you have to answer is what my name is. It's Jess... We post a lot of fun stuff on there. Plus, there's sneak peeks of episodes coming out the following week, so you get to know what it's about before anybody else. Or like this time, you got to vote on which episode I would be covering this week. Whichever one won would be this week, and the other one would be next week. But if you guys do decide that you want these, we found these packets on Amazon. They're not very expensive at all. They do just make it a little more special. So during Halloween, we sit and we talk, we drink. We usually have some kind of seasonal beer or alcoholic drink, like a spiked apple cider. Or, of course, regular apple cider for the kids. My favorite to get is, of course, the Harvest beers. I love beer. (laughs) I like the taste of beer, but I don't like the feeling of being drunk or buzzed. So I like the ones like, I can never say this name right, Linen, Linen Kugel, I think, is what it is. They have a Harvest Shandy. That is my absolute favorite right now. It tastes like fresh pumpkin. I absolutely love it. I love the flavors of fall. I do love my pumpkin stuff. I love cinnamon stuff, though I don't like cinnamon coffee for some reason. But there's nothing better than sitting around a nice, warm fire that's glowing pretty colors with your family and your loved ones, drinking some hot cider or some tasty beer, and really appreciating and enjoying the night, knowing that it's probably going to be the last time you're able to have a fire until spring, at least where I live it is. Of course, at least over the past few years since I met my husband – Another Halloween tradition for us is the band gets all dressed up for Halloween. Our friend Michelle, she is, like, holy shit talented when it comes to the makeup and everything. The first year we were together, we were demons. We had clowns another year, scarecrows, werewolves, Little Red Riding Hood, stuff like that. It's always a lot of fun. And this year, keep an eye out on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Maybe I'll post on Twitter, but I don't really understand Twitter. <laughs> but this year's going to be interesting. Michelle, our makeup prodigy, our phenomenal woman that always does us up so great. She's moving. So unfortunately, she's not going to be able to do the makeup this year. So I'm taking over and I'm pulling everybody involved in with me, (laughs) but it should be a lot of fun. Hopefully they turn out great. If they don't, I probably won't post pictures. (laughs) And one reason I do talk about the band is because if, hopefully when I do post pictures, the singer and my husband are both in the band that does the intro and outro music for this show. I'm sure it'll be a blast i can't wait to see how everything goes then of course the kids have school parties my daughter's in elementary school so there's still a school parade and everything and of course i do try to take some time for myself on halloween i usually meditate or try to do some kind of divination usually i love doing fire scrying while we're having the bonfire But when I do things myself, it is a little bit different. Normally, when we're having the bonfire, we'll take some pictures of the fire, see what we can see in it. But sometimes I like just sitting there and watching it, seeing if anything pops out at me. It usually doesn't, but once in a while, some things do. Now, some of you have asked me in the past if I have an altar and what I do during the holidays. Truth is, I don't have an altar. I decorate my entire house <laughs> when I decorate it. I have a little area where I keep my plants, but I don't have an area specifically where I practice. And unfortunately, like, all of my witchy stuff is all over the damn house. My poor husband, it probably drives him insane. But I do decorate the entire house I put up stuff that's reminiscent of fall. Winter, I do the same thing. Like, we don't have a ton of Halloween decorations. We have some bats hanging from the chandelier and some little things outside. But other than that, color is a big thing I use. I like, during this time, like the leaves. I use acorns, pumpkins, shades of cream and orange and black and brown, I really love this time of year, but for me, winter is the season that I really love. I feel most connected to winter, (laughs) probably because I was born in January. After Thanksgiving, I take down all of my decorations for fall, and I start decorating for the winter season. I do start my seasonal decorating about a month before the season actually gets started, It just really gets me into the mood for that seasonal change. I love the later part of fall from October 31st into December. A lot of people have a hard time through Thanksgiving into winter. Not a lot of people like winter. Just like me, I am not into summer at all. However, I do have a appreciation for every season One thing I can suggest to do, especially if you're having a hard time transitioning into these colder and darker months, take a minute, walk around outside. Use all of your senses. Listen to the leaves blowing in the wind. Smell the air. The way the air smells during late fall is a very unique scent. Feel the chillier air. The crunchy leaves. Look at the beautiful colors. Then, if you're anything like me, make sure you got a pumpkin coffee with you and enjoy the flavors of the season. Even if it's not pumpkin, you can do cinnamon or what's the other one that's like a cinnamon sugar? Enjoy the season. I do the same thing for every season. I like to experience that change with all of my senses it has definitely helped me appreciate those differences because every season has a smell. I know some of you understand what I'm talking about. Smell is a huge thing for me, but everything is different. There are flavors and textures and colors and scents that are all associated with each season. Once you really start to notice and appreciate these things, you'll have a new love for every season. Maybe even winter. So what are some of your Halloween traditions? I know some places don't celebrate Halloween. Do you celebrate a traditional Celtic Salon? Do you have a more American tradition? Do you celebrate things differently than I do or similarly to what I do? I would love to know how you guys celebrate. Did you learn anything new from this episode? And did you find it interesting? Let me know what you think. You can, of course, always reach me on social media Facebook and Instagram as Shoes, Booze, and Tattoos, Twitter as SBT Pod. You can always send me an email, Shoes, Booze, and Tattoos at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. I'll see you all next week. Bye. I'll pick you off the ground after you've fallen down.
0: out. Nah.